verse 7 of John chapter 4. We've been walking slowly through this book, this incredible book of the revelation of Jesus in John's gospel. In verse 7 it says, a woman from Samaria. Somebody just say a woman from Samaria. It says she came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the uh, city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying, do you give me a drink? You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. We're going to discuss the rest of this moment as we go through this message but I, I i feel like the lord wants to say to somebody today that you're dry you're weary you're running out and it's because you've just worked so hard to put your life together on your terms and in your power but today the lord wants to give you something that you can't give yourself he wants to give you himself he wants to give you the holy spirit today but you need to be open to it so this is god's word let's ask god to open our hearts at every location father i pray that our hearts will be open to you today. That our minds will be open to the word, the living word that renews us and transforms us and makes us like Jesus. For every weary soul, I pray, the waters from heaven flow freely into their deepest parts of their lives. I pray that we experience you, God. We don't just hear about you, Lord. We experience you. I pray for the depressed person to find joy in the Lord. I pray for the anxious person to find peace in the Lord. I pray for the addicted person to find freedom in the Lord. I pray for the apathetic person to find the fire of the Lord. Oh, I pray, God, for the strong Christian to find the mercy of the Lord and the heart of the Lord for those who are weak. God, that you would draw us together as one church, maybe all over this country, maybe scattered 16 plus hundred miles apart, but God, one church, part of your church, drawn together through the name of Jesus. Help us to see him, him and him only, in his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat in the presence of the Lord this morning. Oh, I am ready to preach. Are you ready to hear? It is good to be with you. It is good to be with you. I, um, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, well, actually, let me just start by saying this. Yesterday at Apollo Beach and here in North Attleboro for the northern campuses, <coughs> we had our men's breakfast. It was a powerful time. All the men in the house said, hoo I hope you were blessed by that time. We're going to do that th four times a year. Not a breakfast. Hope... I'm thinking about going to the woods in three months with all the men. And you can only bring one, supply, one survival item. And uh, we'll bring a bunch of GoPros and then we'll put it on YouTube. How does that sound? Ladies have a breakfast next Saturday here and I think down in there is Apollo Beach as well. And we're not going to leave you out. Four times a year, both men and women will be doing something together to minister to one another. So this is going to be good. And the, and the, and the, and the um, desire, the thirst in the men's hearts was so, so powerful yesterday. And I challenged the men. So ladies, if your man came home with a new attitude yesterday, blame me. Because men need to be men. Amen. 
Even the word amen has got men in it, amen. We don't say a woman. Well, the Lutherans do, but we don't. Amen, somebody. All right. <laughs> anyway, I also three weeks ago said from this stage, and I don't know if you remember this, I don't play cornhole. I dominate cornhole. And some of you doubted me. And I want to show you my championship trophy from the cornhole tournament of 2023. Yes, myself and Elder Doug White took on every competition that we faced and defeated them. So I have a $50 Lowe's gift card from that, from that tournament. And I just needed to brag about that because sometimes you doubt what I say from this stage. <laughs> you know what the Bible says, if the prophet's words come true, you know that he's a prophet. Hallelujah. Oh, that is good to know. Good for you, really. <laughs> oh, yes. I got to stop. I got to stop. I just couldn't wait to do that. Okay, anyway, we got two things in your hands today at all locations. Fast Monday. This is what we're doing before first Tuesday every month for the year 2023. We're going to fast all day Monday. You don't have to fast after, uh, at any time today unless you want to, uh, but, but you might want to. Anyway, um, this is the devotional based on my study of... Uh, the study of the last deep dive study of first kings chapter 18 so you might want to watch the last deep dive and then get yourself prepared for this so that we pray and ask god to do something in our churches that we've never seen before i am praying specifically for revival i feel it i feel like our country is primed for revival you know the worst it gets in the culture the more desperate God's people get for the Spirit. I feel a desperation. I felt it in the men's meeting yesterday. I feel it like almost every Sunday. And then on first Wednesday of last month, we just had just a powerful time as we had fasted three days. God showed up in an amazing way and spoke to me while we were praying. How many know the Holy Spirit speaks while the, while the church prays? So he spoke as I was praying with you folks here in the North Attleboro location for that hour of prayer on first Wednesday. And I just felt like he said, I want you to do this every month. So we're going to fast three meals, Monday, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We have a devotional for you. We want you to follow along. And then we want you to show up for prayer on first Tuesday. So this is just a one-day fast and first Tuesday. Eat breakfast Tuesday if you want to, lunch Tuesday. And then come and pray with us six to seven at both here in North Attleboro and in Apollo Beach, 6 to 7 prayers, 7 p.m. worship, 7.30 word. And we take communion at both locations. It's a powerful time. God does amazing things. Lives are changed in tremendous ways. But I am hungry for this in 2023. And I said to you first Wednesday that if we're going to see God do things he's never done, we've got to do things we've never done. I believe that God responds to the cries of his people when we seek him with all of our heart. Jeremiah said, if you seek him with all your heart, he will be found by you. Some of you need healing in your body. I'm believing God for healings and signs and wonders in our churches. I know some churches don't get that. They don't want, I don't know why, but they don't want that. I want that. I want God to heal cancer in this house. I want God to hear, heal diabetes in this house. I want God to heal 
spinal issues, back issues, anything he wants to do. And we need to call on God for a mighty move of the Holy Spirit in our churches so, so that when people are so desperate in our lives, they'll see it. They'll see the radiance of God's glory in his church. They'll take note and they'll come and they'll find the living water, which is Jesus. So I hope I pumped you up for tomorrow because I know it's going to be tough to fast. Nobody likes to fast. I don't like to fast. But that's why we do it, because our flesh needs to be shut down and our spirit needs to be opened up. We're going to do this nine more times in 2023, and I believe we're going to see something we've never seen before in 2023. Amen, amen, amen. Take out your notes. It looks like this for the message. I want to talk to you about the God who crosses the lines to bring us life. You belong here, part seven and final part of this message series. Today we come to one of the most beautiful and meaningful meetings in all of Scripture. And it's beautiful because it is the meeting of two polar opposites in the world. Jesus, the Word made flesh. Holy, sinless, spotless Son of God. One of the persons involved. On the other end of the spectrum, and I'm talking about the other end of the spectrum. Past the tax collectors of Israel, past the prostitutes of Israel, past the Pharisees, Nicodemus, past... All those people, go all, if there's a human spectrum of righteous and unrighteous, acceptable and unacceptable, imagine a long spectrum on the far side over here is Christ Jesus, the Holy Son of God. And on the other end of the spectrum is this woman in John chapter 4. The scripture identifies her as the Samaritan woman. You cannot get any more distant than these two characters. And it's a good illustration for where our world is because the most heart-wrenching reality of our current culture is the rise and the expansion of our divisions. We are more divided than ever before. Our culture is divided, our world is divided. Hey, the church is divided. That's not good. I don't like when the divisions of our world get into the, division, get into the church. I expect the world to divide. So, you know, our world's got how many divisions? We, we can't even count them anymore. Black, white, rich, poor. We've got uh, blue states and red states. Blue states are becoming bluer. Red states are becoming red, redder. I love this church because we're in a blue state and a red state. <laughs> That's a good thing. Blue states and red states both need Jesus. Can I get a good amen right there? Amen. We've got the divisions of age. Old people, young people. Boomers, Zoomers. We've got the division of men, women. We've got the division of the wealthy and the poor. I already said that one. The division of the business owner and the worker. And many are wondering what happened to the United States of America. And the reason why we are so divided is because we have left, in many respects, in our cultural institutions, the truth of Scripture. There was a day, and I know, I know, that there was problems in the past in America, yes. But there was a day when they taught the Bible in our schools. There was a day when they asked kids to pray. There was a day when they actually disciplined students in schools. There was a day when our politicians really honored and venerated pastors and leaders. When society venerated and honored pastoral leaders. I've heard reports that pastors and communities used to get free memberships to the country clubs in their towns. If that's what Make America Great Again is about, I want in on that. 
but it's more divided and people are divided and houses are divided because of stupid things, political things, ideological ideologies, things that divide us are abounding. Why? Because Satan is the author of division. When you leave God, understand this, you do not walk into some kind of unspiritual nebula. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's, there's no such thing as a spiritual demilitarized zone. You are either with the Lord, walking with him, experiencing his grace, his mercy, his kindness, and this speaks to you individually and culturally, or you are walking straight into the domain of Satan, the, divis the, the divisive one. And you know what's something about Satan we don't give him enough, enough credit for, but we need to, is that he is very talented at dividing people. That's his gift. That's his spiritual gift. You know you're good at dividing people when you can take one-third of heaven's angels and bring them to hell with you. When you can give up the glories and the blessings and the beauty of heaven and convince a third of the angels to come down and dwell on this, on this earth and then know that your future is damnation. My goodness, he's good at dividing. And that's why it didn't take much time for our country to become so divided the further and further we got away from honoring and venerating the word of God in our culture. Okay, that is a fact. That is a sociological fact. Now, now, <clears throat> in the divisions that we face, there's going, there's going to be something that answers that, whether it be in our families, in our hearts, in our lives, in God, in our marriages, in our relationship to our children. And, and what we get is we have to understand is that God is the one who makes the first move after the devil divides us. Adam and Eve ran from God, God chased them down in the garden. His first question to mankind after sin was what? Where are you? I'm looking for you. I don't know who needs to hear this today. Maybe you're here at Water Church for the first time. God is saying to you, where are you? I'm coming for you, I'm, I'm crossing the lines. These two people in this passage are as divided as it can get. I don't know if anybody remembers the old song from, 1990, from the 1990s. It was actually a 1980s song written by a woman named Julie Gold, but made famous by another woman named Bette Midler. It was called From a Distance. And she made this a, a international hit, but she talks about how from a distance the world looks green and white. We're all one. We're all together. Everything's good. Nobody hates one another. Everybody's got plenty. The world is at peace. And then there's the refrain in the song, the chorus says this, and God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. I'd sing it, but my throat is not good, okay? I know that disappoints many of you. But anyway, it's a, it's a noble thought, it's poetic and wrong. God is not watching us from a distance. God has crossed the distance. God has come to us in the person of Jesus. And he has been doing this since the Garden of Eden, since sin entered the world. He has been coming after people who will hear his voice. That's their question of your life today. You will hear endless voices. You will hear endless conversations. You will hear noise uh, until the day you die. 
But the ultimate voice you need to hear is the voice of your Father in heaven who is asking you, where are you in relationship to me? And if you're far from me, come home to me. I've made the way possible for you to be reconciled with your heavenly Father so that you do not walk this earth alone, but that you walk in the comfort of his love, in the mercy of his grace, and in the power of his Holy Spirit. That is what he wants for you. That is what he wants for me. And this is beautifully illustrated in John's Gospel, the fourth chapter. To declare to the world, you belong here. The scripture says in verse four, he had to pass through Samaria. Uh, if you back up a few verses, it says that John's, um, sorry, it says the Pharisees noticed that Jesus was attracting more disciples than John. So, John, so Jesus decides to leave. And he's got to go through, he, if you got your notes out, just circle had because that is an intentional phrase. He had to pass through Samaria. I, I want you to understand that this is not something that Jews did. The reason why is because in Samaria they were considered half-breed Jews, half-breed Jews. Now, the tension between Jews and Samaritans at this point in John chapter four is 700 years old. 700 years. I mean, if you want to think about the black-white division in this country, it's got nothing on the Jews and Samaritans division. 700 years in the making. And the reason why is because in 700 BC, um, well, actually, we have to back up to 900 BC, there's a guy on the throne named Solomon. How many know Solomon? Wrote three books of the Bible. I got a book coming about one of his books, coming out about one of his books, Ecclesiastes, pretty soon. Solomon is the son of David. But Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was a proud, arrogant young man. And he refused to listen to the wisdom of the elders in his day. And he kind of divided the country by stupid leadership. How many know stupid leaders? Right? <laughs> Let's not throw out names, but we know. And in his stupidity, he divided the nation because he did not respect the people. He, he enslaved the people. And so a guy named Jeroboam from the northern tribes of Israel takes 10 of the tribes and segregates. They, they, they secede from the union, if you will. And there's a, there's a national split, the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. And they make us, and, and the kings in the north are bad dudes. All, every single one is a bad dude. There's a few good kings in the south, all bad in the north. It culminates in a guy named Omri. We just talked about this guy in the deep dive. Om, Omri has a son whose name is synonymous with pagan revelry and idolatry. His, his son's name is Ahab. Ahab is married to a woman whose name is even more synonymous with pagan revelry and idolatry. Her name is? Oh, you know this one. Yes, Jezebel. No one names their daughters Jezebel, except for the few Satanists that are around, the weirdos, okay? But no one does that because she's so pagan, she's so evil. She's a Sidonian, she's a pagan witch. She, she, she brings the nation into even more idolatry. And, and Ahab is a weak, willed man who follows his wife. And, and, and this divide just becomes more and more apparent as the ages go on. Well, Assyria comes in and God uses the pagan nation of Assyria to judge the northern tribes of Israel, to bring them under his wrath. That's how God works, by the way. Did you know that God is in charge of all the nations? He's not in charge just of America. He's in charge of Russia. He's in charge of Ukraine. He's in charge of Israel. He's in charge of Lebanon. He's in charge of all of them. He's sovereign over all of them, okay? And so he uses Assyria. He actually calls Assyria in Isaiah 4, uh, 13. 
his sanctified ones. It's an amazing statement. But Assyria is his tool to judge the northern tribes of Israel. And they bring them captive into their nation. And then they repopulate the northern area of, of Israel. The capital was Samaria. The capital of the northern tribes was Samaria. He, they repopulate them. This is how they would breed nations away with uh, pagan nations and some Jews. And the Jews would intermarry with the pagans. And then they produced a half-breed version of Jews called Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated the Jews, the, the, Judea, the, the people in the south, and they hated them. And, and so for 700 years, it went on like this. The Samaritans would attack the Jews. The Jews would attack the Samaritans. Um, when Alexander the Great decides to conquer the known world, uh, the Samaritans helped Alexander the Great destroy the temple in Jerusalem. And when Antioch, I'm sorry, that was backwards. Uh, the Alexander the Great destroyed the temple in Samaria, and the Jews helped him. When Antiochus Epiphanes uh, decides to invade Jerusalem, the Samaritans help him out. So these, these formerly united uh, tribes are so at odds with each other, they're actually glad that foreign nations are coming in and attacking their former brothers. That's how bad this divide is. They hate each other. There was, they would pray, the Jews would pray and give thanks to God that they weren't Samaritans. They would actually rather talk to Gentiles than to their half-breed former brothers and sisters. Isn't it amazing how much, once division starts getting cracked into our lives, it can widen. So these people should not be talking to each other. There was even a method of traveling from the northern part of Israel and the southern part of Israel. I want to put a map up on the screen. Can we put that up on the screen, guys? Uh, I want to show you this. The Samarita, Samaria was up to the, right in the middle. Uh, Galilee in the north where Jesus is from. There's Nazareth, the Sea of Galilee. Judea down to the south. Okay, so Samaria is right there in the middle. Notice this line on the right. That is what the Jews would do to avoid traveling through Samaria. That's how much they hated them. They wouldn't even walk in their territory. So they would cross the Jordan River down there by Jericho, go up the northern region of Perea, and then recross the Jordan River, and then go back to the Galilean region. They would go out of their way four or five days. They did not have cars. They did not have trains. They did not have any kind of modern transportation. They would go four to five days out of their way to avoid talking or touching these people's territory. That is nuts. And the, and the Lord said, I am going through. And not only am I going through, I have to go through. Why? Because he is the God who crosses the lines. Amen. Write this down if you're taking notes. Point number one. Jesus crosses the lines we draw between ourselves and God. He also draw, crosses the lines that we draw between ourselves and others. Um, this is the heart of God for you and for me and for the people that are different than us. God loves the people you don't love. God loves the people you don't like. God loves the people you hate. We're always gonna live in this dichotomy as Christians. And I live with it all the time because I'm a pastor. And sometimes you might think, man, he says one thing on the deep end, but he says another thing on Sunday. And if you hear anything about the deep end, you know that on the deep end, I'm warning you about the cultural deterioration. Warning, warning, warning. And I want you to be aware of what's happening so that you are well-versed and discerning for you and your children. But on Sunday, I show up and I'm like, God loves everybody. Both are true. Both are true. 
We can get mad and angered. We can get bothered and alarmed. I wouldn't say mad and angered. I would say more alarmed by what we see in our country and what, our, what we see in our world. And at the same time know that those very people who are propagating that nonsense are the mission field. The very people who hate what we believe, who hate our standards, who call us all the names. You know what I'm talking about? All the names. Those very people are also the people God loves and wants to see saved. He wills that none should perish. Not my worst enemy. And I, I, I think somebody needs to hear this today because hell is that terrible. You don't want your worst enemy going there. Uh, or more positively, heaven is that wonderful. Do you understand that heaven is going to solve all the human, all the human divisive, nasty grossness about us? When we finally put this body of flesh into the ground and we're finally once and for all free of all this nasty, anybody got nasty in them? Anybody got some nasty in here? Anybody ever ask themselves, why did I think that? Why did I dream that? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Because you got nasty. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you got nasty. Just turn to them and say, don't make me call your mother. No, just kidding. <laughs> One day that nasty part of you will go into the ground and you will be in heaven perfect in righteousness before God. It'll be that glorious. It doesn't matter how bad they are. When the nasty's gone, they'll be in heaven with God through Jesus Christ and it'll be beautiful. But this is what Jesus does in our text and this is what we've got to learn to do as Christians. You're either the Samaritan woman in this story in that you are disconnected from God and you need to know that God has come to find you or you are part of the movement of Jesus now and you need to start crossing the lines in your culture and in your society to go and find others. Okay, so look at what it says here in verse five. He came to a town called Samaria, uh, a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, Jesus wearied. How many wanna understand, how many need to understand this? Jesus was human. He got tired. He got worn out. He, he does that to associate with us. By the end of this conversation, he's not wearied, he's filled. Do you know why? He'll tell the disciples, he'll say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. When you do and when you serve God's purposes, he fills you up. This is why you never run out of money when you tithe and give God your first. This is why you never run out of energy when you serve at Water Church or serve in your life in the name of Christ. He pours back in whatever you pour out. He has unlimited resources. But he is wearied at this point. He will get filled by the end of this moment. It says he was weary from his journey. He sat beside the well. It was about the what? Sixth hour, just circle sixth hour, just right next to it, 12 noon. That's what that means. The Jews would count the hours by the sunrise. So the sunrise is hour zero. Then one hour, two hour, three hour, 6 a.m. Sunrise leads us to 12 noon. Why is that important? Because of what happens next. Verse seven, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. When did she come to draw water? Noon. This is important. The reason why is because women in the ancient world did not come to draw water at noon. Why? Now, New England, we're not gonna understand this, but Florida understands this. At noon, the sun is as hot as it can be. And if you're carrying water, and in this case, five gallons of water on your shoulder, okay, and you're a woman, 
All right, no matter what Harvard tells us, women, we understand you're a little bit weaker than men, okay? It's hard work, and so you did not do this in the heat of the day, you did this in the morning. And not only that, but women traditionally would do this in groups. They would go to the well. This was their job. Men would go get food and fish and hunt, and women would go get water. They would come back together again and have families and homes, right? Well, women would go in the morning together to go grab water. It's the same today. It's just women today go to the bathroom together. It's the same thing. It's amazing how thousands of years of history, we're still doing the same thing. No dude says, hey, I'm going to the bathroom. You want to come? In fact, if we go to the bathroom and there's too many dudes, we leave. Amen? But anyway, so they, they would go in the morning. They would chit-chat. They would gossip. They would watch The View, you know, <laughs> and they would leave. And, and then so this woman is coming at noon alone. Why? Because she wants to hide. We're going to find from her story she's got plenty to hide. And Jesus takes the initiative. Verse, um, uh, verse 7 says, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you? And she's asked the obvious question. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How did she know that he was a Jew? Probably because of the way he wore his clothes. There were certain clothing for Jews. So you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How do you ask me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? And then the, the word no dealings, Jews have no dealings. The word literally in the Greek is they don't share utensils. That's how much they hated each other. They wouldn't even touch the same utensils. Jesus is crossing every single line. Look at the lines. 800 years of divisive history crossed in Jesus' name. Male, female, crossed in Jesus' name. Righteous son of God, wicked, five-time divorcee, shacked up with another dude, half-breed Jew, crossed in Jesus' name. This is what God does. This is what God, somebody told you that you weren't welcome at church. I don't know who that is, but that's not true. That's never been true. The church is not a museum of God's good people. The church is a hospital for wrecked people. That's what the church is for. And I don't know where you're from, and I don't know what your story is, but your story is not so gross that God can't love you out of it and change you and transform you and bring you close to himself. Let us never become a church for only the good people because there's no such thing. There's lines that we still draw. There's lines that this woman draw, drew, and I want to underline them for you, outline them for you. Letter A in your notes, <coughs> the social line. Some, some might, might be there right now with our church. I'm not familiar with this. I'm not familiar with this faith tradition. Well, I was raised in a different faith tradition. It's okay. Um, and that's actually going to come back, but <laughs> I'm not familiar with this moment. I'm not familiar with you. I don't know you, and that's Okay. You're still welcome here. The, then letter B, the emotional line. I'm not ready for this. I've got anxiety. I've got depression. I've got some issues. Yes, welcome. Welcome to the issue-laden group. We're all issued. We all got issues. <laughs> now, 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 our issues are really the fruit of sin. That's what we have to get uh, translated here, uh, transmitted here. Our issues are really the, fr the, root, the fruit of a root that is sin. This woman is five times divorced, shacked up with a guy. She's not married to. Some people say this when they come to church. I've been through too much. I've been, I've been hurt by the church. I've been outcast by the church. I already covered that, but we'll, 
We just want to underline, outline these, these lines that we draw. The mental line, I have many questions. This is what this woman will do very, very fantastically in the story, but it happens when we start having a conversation with somebody about Jesus, doesn't it? All the time, then the rational arguments start popping up. Well, what about the dinosaurs? Well, you're expecting me to tell me that, that Noah built a boat and carried all the animals. You're expecting me to believe that. You're expecting me to believe that there's no such thing as evolution. You're expecting me to believe in six days that God created. And, and, and can I just ask you, whenever you're having that kind of moment with somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, I got a two-word admonition to you. Are you ready for it? Two words, very simple. Don't argue. Don't argue. There's no point. Paul tells Titus, avoid silly arguments. They are unproductive. I used to work in the secular world. I used to be a waiter. And I remember that there was this guy that used to gun for me. His name was Jeff. I could still see Jeff's face in my mind. He would argue with me. And I was a young boy, a young man. I was a college, I think I was a junior. And I was young and young in the faith and just thought if I just argued with Jeff enough, he would eventually bow the knee to Jesus. <laughs> and so I'd argue. I would get into all the arguments. Every argument on the side. You've had the argument. I guarantee you me and Jeff had the argument. And it never worked. And finally, the Lord corrected me. He said, stop arguing with that man. And so he came up to me one day in the, in the restaurant, and he started, started in on me with the, with the argument. You know, one of the arguments. I don't know, dinosaurs, evolution, something. I don't know. And so I said, Jeff, this is what I said. Jeff, I don't know that answer. But here's what I know. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you believe in him, you have life everlasting. And if you don't, you have nothing. That was the last time Jeff ever talked to me. <laughs> Can I tell you, sometimes that's a blessing. Because if you get into the endless argument with the debater, you'll never see the Samaritan woman in your life that God has primed and prepared for you to tell about Jesus. The mental line. The letter, letter B, D, the religious line. And this is what I referred to earlier. Um, the Samaritans and the Jews had different versions of the Bible. This is going to sound very familiar. They had different church buildings. They had different holy mountains. They had different faith traditions. Okay? Some of you, this has been what you've done to come to Waters Church. You were raised Catholic, and you come to our church, and your mom is now currently having an anxiety attack that you are in this church instead of her church. And I, I want to give you some balm. I want to give you some peace about this for a second. If you were raised Catholic and you were sprinkled as a child, christened, and you want to get baptized, and by the way, you should get baptized. We believe in confessional baptism. Here's why. Because there is zero evidence of any baby getting baptized in this book. Not one baby is baptized in the book. Not one. We do things by this book. If this book says it, we'll do it. We believe in confession of baptism. You make the confession of faith, you get baptized. Now, I know some Catholics will say, well, that's confirmation. Well, I get it, but see, even a 12-year-old can fake confirmation. If you get sprinkled as a kid, here's what, you tell, here's what you tell mom and dad who are freaking out about the fact that you want to get baptized at Waters Church. Here's what you do. You say, Mom and Dad, the faith tradition that you raised me in, I'm so thankful for. It taught me about Jesus. It told me about a God. But now I know him personally. 
And what you did in that moment for me as a baby, I want you to know it's come true for me personally, and now I want to validate what you did for me as an infant, as an adult who has confessed Jesus as my Savior and Lord. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Don't get into, again, don't argue. Don't argue. Don't get into the fights. Don't worry about that. It does nothing. So you go, we got to cross the lines is what I'm trying to say. And some of you need to know that God is crossing the line for you. Point number two, this is why he can cross the lines in our lives. Because he already knows us, and he meets us where we are. That Jesus is not surprised by you is so important for you to hear. Oh, I could never go to that church. Oh, I could never do that. Oh, I, I'm too, no, God, you know, he, he doesn't want anything to do with me. Uh, he does want something to do with you, and he already knows everything there is to know about you. He's not shocked. There's never been a time in heaven where God has looked at somebody coming to him and said, whoa. <laughs> no. He already knows you. He meets you where you are. That's what happens in this story. Letter A in your notes. Jesus knows all about this woman. He knows that she is, not, letter A, biblically ignorant. Well, I don't know the Bible. That's fine. That's why I'm here. That's why I, I do all that I do on, on my YouTube channel as well. Bible, Bible, Bible. I am here to help you. Amen. Elders are here to help you. Small group leaders are here to help you. Know the Bible. And you know one of the best ways to get to know the Bible is to see the Bible at work in somebody else's life. That's what life group is about. So you hear somebody else talking about God's working on them or their marriage or their parenting or their life and you say, wow, I didn't know the Bible could apply in that way. Yeah, that's how you learn the Bible. A, it's, not, it's not a Sunday school lesson. It's not informational transmission. It's experiential testimony. Uh, what, what did the blind man say in John 9 when the Pharisees were pecking at him and, 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 and just begging him to say something blasphemous and he doesn't take the bait. He doesn't argue. He says, I don't know about what you think about him, Jesus, but I know this. I once was blind, but now I see. That, 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 and so the experiential transmission is far more important than the scholarly transmission. There are seminary graduates uh, around this country who are today confessional atheists because just learning about these facts don't change the heart. You need to have an experience with the living Christ. <laughs> Biblically, she's a big Look what it says in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God, what is he talking about when he says gift, underline gift? The gift of God is the Holy Spirit. Every time John, in John's gospel, Jesus talks about the gift of God, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, I could give you that gift and you, and, <clears throat> and you would have gotten living water. The reason why, now this is important. Remember I said the Samaritans had a different Bible than the Jews? The Samaritans only believed the first five books of the Bible were the Bible, the, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. Five means, pen, uh, five is Penta, Pentateuch, first five books. Moses' books. And they, and then they eliminated all the other books after that. And so here's the reason why she was biblically illiterate. Because the Lord does not talk about the Holy Spirit as living water or himself as living water until you get to Jeremiah and Isaiah. Later on in the Old Testament. So her faith tradition had actually kept her in the dark about the Holy Spirit. And what I'm trying to tell you, all I'm saying to you is this. It wasn't her fault. Are you hearing me? She was misled. When I was working in the bank, there's another story. There was a manager in the bank, her name was Joni. 
And to this day, I pray for Jody because I don't even know if she's still alive, but I pray for her if she's still alive that she will come to Christ. And I remember we were having a spiritual conversation and this is, I just started at the bank. I'm like a 21-year-old snot-nosed face kid. She's longtime bank manager. And she and I have this conversation spiritually. What, what is with you? You're going to ministry. What is that? You're going to be a father? What are you going to be a priest? And they would, you know, joke about that and they would call me Father Tim and all this. And I would say, who's your daddy? And all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, <laughs> she got into this argument with me. And she, not argument. She got into this conversation spiritually. The Lord's starting to open this conversation. So I'm like, I'm ready. I'm jumping through the door. No argument, just a conversation. And I, I'm telling her the stories of Jesus. I'm telling her about what God is. She says, I've never heard that before. I said, have you ever been to church? She said, oh yeah, born and raised Catholic. Oh, and she said, but not only that, I went to Catholic school, Catholic elementary school, Catholic high school, I went to Catholic college. I said, I said you've been to all those things, you've never heard these stories? She says, no. But let me just tell you that it wasn't her fault. So some of you need to realize that. You're biblically illiterate because you never got under somebody who took this word seriously. And, and expected you to bring it to church, hello, <laughs> and expected you to open it and read it and underline it and highlight it. That any preacher who doesn't do that is failing you. So anyway, she's biblically illiterate and ignorant. Um, letter B, Jesus knows she's spiritually empty. She's spiritually empty. That is what everybody is without God. You're spiritually ent ent empty. And, and, and your spiritual emptiness will play itself out in any number of emotional problems. Your spiritual emptiness will show itself in any number of emotional problems. Stress, anxiety, depression, suicide. That is, that is a symptom of a deeper issue. The issue is you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Or you did have the fullness of the Holy Spirit and you've wandered. God wants to fill you again. And by the way, you need refillings. Anybody know what that's? Anybody know what I'm talking about there? You need refillings. First Tuesday, somebody. So verse 13, it says, Jesus said to everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now she's interested. She's interested because she doesn't want to keep coming to the high noon hour water gathering event alone. And so let her see before we get there. It says, Jesus knows she's morally suspect. Well, I don't know if God can love me for what I, with what I've done. I don't know if God can love me because of what I did. Okay, well, just hold that thought. Verse 15, the woman said to him, give me this water so I will not have to come here at 12 noon every day alone and avoid all the gossiping ladies in the morning. Well, well why? Why did she want to do that? Well, Jesus knows exactly why. So verse 16, here's his strategy. Go call your husband. Uh-oh. Anybody who knows this story knows why that's an uh-oh. Verse 17, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, yep. You've had five, and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Ouch, this is called dropping the hammer. Boom. The Holy Spirit, through the word of prophecy, reveals to Jesus her condition five times divorced. Now, according to the law, three divorces were allowed. Any more than that, and you were a pariah. So she's not just a Samaritan, she's a Samaritan pariah. And she's shacked up, living in immoral. You think it's bad in America, and it's not even bad in America. Now they celebrate it living together. Now it's like a thing. Now it's like a storyline in the sitcom when the guy doesn't ask the girl to marry him, but asks the girl to play, play house with him. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, they decided to live together. Oh, that's beautiful. It's such a, it's such a ridiculous storyline. But, but this woman in that day, that was totally frowned on. Totally. 
She's shacked up with a guy after five divorces. And by the way, in that, in that culture, only men could make divorce happen. So she's been rejected by five different guys. And this time, she's not even accepted to the level of marriage with the, with the current guy. She's just blown away. And this is what happens when people feel God taking his finger and pressing it on the area of our lives where we know we're jacked up. This is what we do. Are you ready? Here's what everybody does. They get into a religious debate because they want to avoid the pain. Look what she says in verse, 17, uh, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. No, duh. Here comes the religious debate now. Well, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you worship in Jerusalem. And what do you say about the dinosaurs? And what do you say about evolution? What do you say about this? And what do you say about that? Everybody that's trying to argue you into those things is really just trying to avoid the fact that God is placing his finger on the source of their heartache and they need you to avoid the argument and tell them about Jesus. It's just a wall they throw up. And what I love about Jesus in this moment is that he does not take the bait because he cares about the person and not the issue and not the point of contention. Point number three, Jesus reveals the truth about who he is to open our lives to the spirit that God gives. She's exposed. She's been revealed. She's been found a sinner. And that is the most important truth that you can come to, friend. Here's the truth. What did it, what, the last time that Jesus mentions truth is when he says, what you have said is quite true. You have no husband. You have no, you're a sinner. You've, you've, you've blown it in life. That is the truest thing you will ever say to God. I have blown it in life. That's the truest thing. When you stop pretending, when you stop justifying yourself, when you stop trying to act like you're better than you really are, you are starting to come to the truth. Here's another way you come to the truth. Listen, listen closely. When you stop blaming other people. Some of you need to get there today. Well, I'm this way because of my dad. Yeah, 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 I understand. But the issue is not really your dad. The issue is you. Well, I'm this way because I had a bad marriage or because I'm married to this person or because of my kids or because of the... I understand. But underneath all that, underneath all that excuse that you keep giving to God for why you are the way you are, there's a heart issue in you. Yeah. And here's how I know that's true. Because people who have been through worse than you have more joy than you. Because they've surrendered their life to Jesus. Yeah. Stop blaming. And start coming to the truth. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life. Verse 21, Jesus said, believe me, all that stuff about where we worship is going to be neither here nor there. That's what he's basically saying. The hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem anyone will worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. The Samaritans didn't know. The Jews did know. Salvation is from the Jews. That is absolutely true. The Jews gave us salvation. That's why every Gentile should honor and thank God for the Jews because through the Jews we get the law, we get the Bible, we get Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit. Never hate the Jews. It's absolutely true what Jesus says here. It says, verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, they will come to the knowledge of their own sin, and the moment that they come to the knowledge of their own sin, they are forgiven. 
The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanses of all unrighteousness. And once we are cleansed of unrighteousness, the Holy Spirit can come in and lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Everyone worships. Everyone worships. Don't tell me you're not a worshiper. People worship sports. People worship cars. People worship houses. People worship money. People worship lovers. People worship celebrity, fame, fortune. No, everyone's a worshiper. But when God gets in you, you have one thing that you worship above everything else, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is everything to you. He is everything to you. So the woman says, well, I know when Messiah shows up, he'll explain all this to him, to us. And the most pro profound <laughs> statement in the story is the next verse. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. <laughs> I love this moment so much because the words in Greek, the, the English translation doesn't do it justice. It says, Jesus said, ego imi, ego imi. In Greek, it means I am. And she would have known that from the Pentateuch because that's the very phrase that God in the burning bush said to Moses when he asked the Lord, what's your name? I am. And if you know anything about the Gospels, you know this, that Jesus rarely came out and clearly, de clearly declared that he was God, very rarely. And John's Gospel is about the first year of Jesus' ministry. And I find it profoundly beautiful that the first person in Jesus's ministry to hear him declare to them that he is the great I am is not some religious scholar in Jerusalem, is not some pious Pharisee named Nicodemus, is not some weird fisherman in Galilee, is not, is not even a Jew. It's a five-time divorce, a shacked up, rejected, hated, vilified, demonized, Samaritan, woman as if God is screaming to people far from him you are not too far from me and who needs to hear that now in this place right here in this moment right here at every location you're not too far gone for God but you've got to come into the truth Stop blaming and excusing and surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess you're a sinner and receive his grace and mercy and he'll fill you with spirit and change your life. And that's exactly what happens, verse 27. <clears throat> the disciples came back and marveled. And I love this moment that he was talking to a woman, but no one said anything. Do you know why? Because they'd been with him enough to know that he does weird stuff and they should just stop asking about it. Verse 28, so the woman left what? Don't miss that moment. Underline that because that's important. She knows her life's different now. I don't need this anymore. And she went away into the town. And to all the people that she was trying to hide from, she's now totally open to. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. 
can this be the Christ? And they all come out and they see Jesus and they hear him and they believe. And this notorious sinner becomes the greatest evangelist the Samaritans had ever seen up to that moment because God does not need a seminary graduate to change the world. God does not need a pious religious upbringing to change the world. God just needs somebody who surrenders their life to the grace of his forgiveness and the Holy Spirit's power and he can change the world. Because it's not about you, it's about Him. 